Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale our business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Megan Bowen, Chief Customer Officer at Refined Labs. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Excited to be here and uh, dig into the conversation today. Absolutely. My, my pleasure. We have been planning for this one for, for a long time. And we, we are finally uh, for uh, the delight of, uh, of ourselves and all the ones that are listening to us uh, to learn from you. So who is Megan? Uh, yeah, so I can give you my, my, my story, my quick story. So um, born and raised in Southern California, moved to New York when I was 19, graduated with a degree in business management and jumped into the New York City startup scene right out of college. I was an account manager at an ed tech company for seven years, um, really um, mastered and um, realized I, I, I loved that type of work, customer success, account management, customer service, really um, was able to flex a lot of different skill sets um, and really enjoyed working with customers. From there, I went to ZocDoc early days and actually took a job as a customer support agent, but um, ultimately had the opportunity to build out the post-sale function at ZocDoc while I was there. So that was my first um, opportunity and experience building a team and realized I loved people management and team building. Um, from there, went to Grubhub Seamless and built out their B2B account management function was there for the IPO, which was really exciting. Um, and actually post IPO, yeah, they acquired a bunch of food, um, other B2B food delivery companies so had a really interesting project of um, essentially consolidating five other brands um, under the Grubhub and Seamless umbrella. So moving the customers over, retaining them and the revenue that came with them. So um, another great opportunity and really learned a ton about change management um, and how to navigate a project like that. Um, company was getting really big, was ready to get back into a startup, went to a company called Managed by Q, started there as a director of account management, ended my time there as the chief operating officer. We uh, exited to WeWork, um, which was... Very exciting until it wasn't as exciting anymore. I, I just watched the documentary on Hulu. Check it out. It's worth a watch of <laughs> uh, the whole WeWork story. Um, after that, though, went to Platters back in the food tech space. Um, very familiar after my time at Grubhub, was VP of customer success there um, and was having a great time. And then the pandemic hit and People were no longer in offices, therefore were no longer ordering food to the office. So uh, my time ended there uh, summer of 2020 and most recently joined forces with Chris Walker at Refine Labs um, as chief customer officer. So after 15 plus years at sort of B2B SaaS tech marketplace startups, I'm now on the agency side helping customer or helping company B2B companies from the outside helping them scale their demand generation programs um, and uh, taking everything I've learned and designing our sort of customer success strategy for a service business um, uh, as we're primarily focused on consulting for our customers today. So that's my, it's a quick overview of uh, my 17 year career. <laughs> I love it. And that, that's really curious because I think that one of your initial positions was even in, in sales, right? So in terms of revenue, you have a very good understanding of all the functions uh, in revenue. So also your experience as a CEO, so you kind of are perfect suited not only to lead CS, but also to lead 
uh, revenue and even the COO role as you did uh, at Managed by Cube. Definitely. I love sales. I actually sold Cutco knives. I did telemarketing in college and um, actually, you know, managed sales directly at Managed by Q along with marketing and operations. I think um, one of my biggest um, lessons learned at Managed by Q once I went from just managing account management to really managing all go-to-market teams um, was how important each of the individual teams are to the broader success of the company and, and um, as well as how important it is for all those teams to work together. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, being very focused in account management, I was able to develop a mastery in that particular function. But I think what I enjoy more now is being able to understand how all of these functions need to work together to uh, achieve that greater company goal um, and solving those problems and really driving that company alignment um, thinking about an appropriate go-to-market strategy, you know, thinking about building a long-term, sustainable, successful company. Um, uh, that is really what I'm most excited about now. And um, I think it's uh, it's very interesting because I bring a customer success lens and mindset to this challenge, which I think um, I believe has been an advantage because at the end of the day, if you don't have customers, you know, you don't have a business and whether you're thinking about marketing or sales, being able to, um, you know, have that, that customer success mindset when uh, tackling those challenges, I think, um, I think can be really helpful. You just look at things a little bit differently than if you've, if you've, um, you know, come up the ranks and sort of, uh, in a, in a different, different area of the business. Absolutely, and I think that's that's what um, every single company in SaaS is really understanding, especially in moments of crisis, that it's really important to have a very strong uh, customer base, craving fans, and a strong retention engine in order to then build the acquisition engine on top of the retention engine. So if there is no retention engine in the revenue machine, um, we are just uh, creating more problems to, to our customers and to ourselves. <laughs> Definitely. And there's, in fact, usually immense growth opportunity simply with your current customers. Um, exactly. In many businesses, you know, depending on the model, um, you know, expanding with current customers might even be a faster path to growth than net new acquisition. Of course, you never, you know, you never want to take your eyes off, you know, bringing new customers in the door. That's always important. Um, but I think sometimes people underestimate the, the, the revenue and the growth opportunity that exists with the current customer base. Yeah, especially after five and 10 million ARR, it's, it becomes really critical to, to keep scaling the company to have that strong potential to, to grow across the customer base. This is a classic, but it seems that uh, human beings, we, we forget things, right? So it's, it's much easier to retain and we already got the trust of the client. And if the client is happy, and that's why it's so important to track NPS, the potential of uh, being able to serve um, or to serve more uh, the client with our product um, and kind of do a rollout of, 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 of the project together. It's a huge opportunity. And sometimes we are looking uh, outside and we are forgetting to, to have our customers happy. And also this is a source of referrals of uh, other customers that might benefit from us. And uh, so very few times we speak about referrals, right? That's another point. <laughs> so true. And I think as we continue to move forward, I think, you know, word of mouth recommendations or referrals from 
people you trust, I think is going to um, is going to more and more be the way that most B2B buying decisions are made. Um, I, I, I predict that as we move forward, that that's going to have the biggest influence on, on what people do uh, versus anything else, any other marketing or acquisition strategies that might be at play. Absolutely. So we always discuss three critical ingredients to, to scale on the show. Number one is radical focus. Number two is world-class leadership. And number three has been iterated from a culture of execution to an operating to um, an execution operating system. Sorry, I'm still getting used to this new uh, third one. It's still the same, but I think it's a better um, explanation or a better definition of what we typically discuss there because we always discuss the rituals and OKRs and um, and having that culture of discipline. So it's much more an execution operating system, not so much a culture of execution because world-class leadership already includes culture and, and team. But starting with, with number one, uh, radical focus. This is another classic as the same stuff about retention and, uh, and acquisition. And, and sometimes, we tend again to overcomplicate and to create new layers, add new geographies, add new verticals, and add new price points, tickets, uh, ARPAs, and it becomes very difficult to manage so much complexity in the business because every single combination of these three variables, as I like to say, the ACV or ARPA plus the geo plus the vertical brings a different business. So if we change any of the variables, we will create a new business and a new business. And sometimes we have a portfolio of 50 businesses in a, in a scale up at 5 million or 10 million ARR. It's very difficult to scale this and it's really, really difficult to create the machine because we have so many different customers and so many different kinds of needs that it's difficult to kind of identify a repeatable uh, customer journey, right? And then to scale that, that customer journey. So what have been some of your lessons uh, on, on this point? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I agree, focus is critical. And I think, um, you know, sometimes in the excitement to build, um, we maybe spread ourselves too thin or we we don't think of the right order of operations in which we should think about growing and scaling a company. And so um, I think for me, um, through all of my experiences, the way that I think about this is I, I do think that there's a I have a general thesis of how um you know, if I were starting a new company or, you know, with the agency that I'm building today, like the the, the way that we think about building um, yeah. is very deliberate. And so I think step one is um, you need to really validate that you are tackling a problem uh, that matters and that you have a solution, whether it's a, a software, whether it's a service, um, any other type of hardware product, whatever it might be, but that your solution actually meaningfully solves a real problem. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people have ideas, which sure, that could be a good idea. Um, 
but really taking the time to actually validate that it's a re- it's a real market problem. You have a total addressable market. You have a solution that resonates. I think um, don't skip over that step, right? <laughs> and then I think the next step is you need to validate that. So even with early research, and, and, and in my opinion, validation of a business idea is your ability to get customers, right? So can you get 10 customers, 50 customers, 100 customers, whatever the number is that makes sense for for what you're trying to do. Um, And really starting with investing in um, what I believe is customer success. Like you need to sort of intimately understand your first cohort of customers. They're gonna give you the feedback that's gonna fuel the next iteration of whatever your product and service is. And so um, really focusing on whatever structure, Um, or strategy that you need to deploy to really stay close to your customers, make sure that they're actually happy, their problems being solved, and getting that early feedback is really critical. The next step there is, okay, you have identified that problem, you have a solution, you validated that with customers, and you have a round of feedback that's really going to help inform and take your solution to the next level. This is when I think you need to begin investing in marketing. So building a brand, um, creating demand for that product. And so whether that's through um, organic brand building, through launching a podcast like we're on right now or (laughs) posting on LinkedIn or whatever it may be, um, but really investing in educating the market about the problem you solve and the solution that you bring to the table. And that's going to attract your next cohort of customers, right? that sometimes can take some time. A lot of people will immediately prioritize, okay, I have this idea. I'm just going to hire a bunch of salespeople to bring in as many customers as possible. Right. And I think you need to to wait for that. You have your, your your problem and solution, you have your customers, you have marketing, and then you have sales, right? So once you've actually validated that customers want it, you've begun to educate the market and and build some awareness, Um, then that's when I think you can add fuel to the fire and begin to build out a sales team that can then begin to accelerate that growth. Um, And so I I feel like a lot of times people do it basically completely backwards. They'll prioritize sales first, then maybe marketing, and then then customer success. And so I, I challenge people to sort of flip that script and think about it a little bit differently, because I think when you actually care about building a a real sustainable business that has the potential to be big, um, that you want to do right by your customers, you want to do right by the people that you bring onto your team to scale the business, doing it this way might take a little bit longer, but I think you're creating a stronger foundation um, for sustainable growth in a way that you wouldn't be able to do if you you did it in the opposite um, order. Absolutely. And, and that's why it's important to have someone and in the early days, it needs to be the CEO, but later on, it can be the CEO or the CRO to really align uh, the different seats and start coordinating who needs to play first, right? Because if we have those seats too early, uh, they will start fighting each other for uh, the spotlights in the camera. Yeah. <laughs> we should invest more in outbound or more in inbound, or we, sh- we should send the resources to CS and, and so on. Oh, no, we don't need CS, need the sales, need the marketing, we need products. <laughs> so, and then we start those interesting uh, conversations at, at leadership level. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it's really important, not only in like company prioritization, but you're absolutely right in thinking when it makes sense to bring on the right people for each of those functions at the right level at the right time. Um, because I've certainly seen that as well, right? You have a lot of uh, great executive leaders maybe are hired too early at a company and exactly. the, the inability for them to collaborate effectively can actually hinder the company's uh, ability to be successful. Um, and another thing too, just because someone was able to success, successfully grow revenue at a particular company at a particular stage, doesn't make them the best person at an earlier stage or a later stage. The skills required for all of those functions, um, you know, at different stages of your business, really the job is different, right? Um, and if you've ever started a company in any type of CEO or COO position, you know, every every six to twelve months, your job changes <laughs> yeah, <just exactly. laughs> because the business needs are different, right? And so I think that's another common mistake I see quite a bit is not not looking for the right people to join you at the right stage um, and assuming that success at another company or another stage translates to success with what you're doing. So it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I think that's a great introduction to our uh, number two world-class leadership, assuring that we have the right people on on the right seats for each stage of growth. We discuss it also a lot of times on the show, the importance of identifying if we need a builder or a scaler because the, the skill set will be completely different and and degrees okay. um even even a scaler might have an hard time um in a, in a specific company compared to other company where he or she has been very successful right so it's always i think that's that's the part of what we do kind of we have been in in a lot of companies and have seen patterns but the beauty of what we do is there is a science there is frameworks but there is an art, right? which is looking to the specific company and being able to reinvent, to not reinvent the wheel, but at the same time to adapt everything to that specific context. And it differs so much from quarter to quarter, from year to year. Um, and that's the combination of art and science of, of leading a business. Because if it was just a science, um, we would just go through the playbook and we would make every single company a success, right? <laughs> and we all know that that's not that simple. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, at the core of it, when you think about building a business, you know, what you're really doing is you are assembling a group of humans to work together to achieve an outcome. That's really what it is. If you kind of break it down to the most basic level of, of what you're trying to do. And um, to your point, um, you know, that's where the art comes in. Dealing with people is not black and white. Um, but I think the, 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 the challenge, but then also the beauty of that is um, there is no prescriptive playbook about how to deal with every type of person. But if you're effective at attracting the right group of people, putting them in the right roles, motivating them in the right way, creating the right conditions for success, um, that's when you see groups of people do amazing things, right? Or the things that people once thought were impossible. And so it's unlocking that potential. And I think um, uh, I think that there are a few um, core ingredients that are required 
to build a high performing team. And so mm-hmm. we were just talking a little bit about this, but like really making sure that you're finding the right people for the right roles at the right time. Um, mm-hmm. And considering all of those factors before making hiring decisions is really key and important. I think once you begin assembling that team, um, I'm, I like this phrase, like creating the conditions for success. Like it's up to someone to really understand what is required, um, what conditions are required in order for this team to achieve. And so a big one in my view is really creating psychological safety. That's the foundation of trust, which I think is, um, I think is the differentiator between, um, you know, a good team and, and a great team. And to create psychological safety, I think leaders need to lead by example. They need to admit their own mistakes. Um, They need to respond um, positively uh, from setbacks or from obstacles or challenges. Um, People need to know that they can make a mistake and it's okay. They, They can speak up about an idea and um, not fear critical, uh, you know, repercussions mm-hmm. as a result of that. Um, that's really, really important. I think another piece of it also, though, is having the right balance of empowerment and accountability. Nobody likes to be micromanaged, and so by providing clarity of expectations, goals, what you really want this person to be focusing on, um, but then giving them the time and the space to perform is important. Um, but also holding them accountable. Um, so if they do fall short or if they don't follow through on something, um, it's important to address those things um, in the right way at the right time. Um, but if you lean too far into empowerment without accountability, things will go off the rails. Um, and if you focus too much on accountability without empowerment, you become a micromanager. So that balance, I think, is, is really key. And then the the last thing that I would say, and this is really up to the leader, the visionary, um, you need to be continuously communicating your vision and your North Star and what you're doing, right? Like at the end of the day, people are motivated by a shared passion for getting somewhere and working with people that have those shared values where they feel supported and, and trusted. And so um, it, that is like the spark that will make people try things that they haven't done before and, and, and work together to achieve something. And so those are, I think some of the, you know, there are other things that are important. So it's not just those things, but I think those would be some of the top things that when you think about creating a world-class leadership team or building a high performing, you know, broader team with your company, those are some of the things that I think are, are most important. Yeah. Especially that second layer after 60, 70 people, those become really the leaders that are closer to to the field. So it's it's really, really important again. And that's where communication and empowerment and providing clarity, um, it's really, really important. And at the same time, setting direction, but also collecting the feedback from what is happening on the field. Because at that time, the leadership team starts to be a little bit more um, less in touch with what is happening at the ground uh, level. And this can be very dangerous from my experience uh, with with leadership teams, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, it can be because you can make decisions based on incorrect information <laughs> and often assumptions and feelings and gut feeling, etc. Yeah, exactly. And it can also frustrate and pisses uh, the team off on, on the ground level because these guys are not understanding anything that is happening in the business. Yeah. <laughs> and we and were not able to communicate half this. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it's um, it, that's another delicate balance, though, because I think it's important that leadership stays connected to the front lines and is grounded in reality. Um, and and they should be acknowledging the challenges of reality and, and making sure that that informs key decision making while also continuing to paint a vision and talk about what things will be like when we move past this stage, right? So I think it's not being so close to reality that you get mired down and the vision is bogged down, point. Um, but close enough so that you're not making irresponsible or bad decisions because you're so out of touch with what's actually happening. I know whenever I've been a CS leader within a company, I always look for opportunities to expose the CEO or the executives to customers directly. So whether mm -hmm. it's an event or having them shadow the support team or bringing them to a meeting with a VIP customer, those are great opportunities to try and um, be proactive about um, connecting the leadership team to the customer. Um, if you're if you're a if you're a CS leader, potentially director mm -hmm. level, it's a, a great tactic to use um, as well as having your own exposure to the leadership team. Love it. That's that's a great one. And, and still on the team, there is something that I'm. So it, it's it's so difficult to assure that we have the right people on the right seats for each stage of growth. I think there there is another level on on the patterns of teams that I see succeeding is some of those members to be able to go through different stages of growth. So if we need to change all the seats from stage of growth to stage of growth, we need to kind of rebuild the team from the scratch. All that psychological safety, or all that learning that when things get tough, we will go through this because we've, we've been we, we have gone through this before together, right? So we know that we have a huge charge ahead of us, but we kind of feel that we can count on each other to go through this again and that we were able to do it uh, in the past. And if all the members of the team are new, sometimes this, this is a little bit more complex because they are not um, culturally on the same page yet, they need a little bit more time in order to engage with each other and to find that chemistry and, and that safety. So it's if we, if we are able to, in some of the seats, to kind of hire not only for, only for the present moment, but for a person that might be able to go through the present moment, correct, but also the next stage. If, if it can cover two stages, I would say two stages of 18 months, Wow, this is great because it will have a very good impact on, on the business and also show to people that they can be promoted and that they can grow with the company. Right? Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely lots of people out there that are able to grow and adapt as the company grows and adapts and take on new and different responsibilities at those different stages of, of growth. And so I also think that um, for those high potential individuals, um, you know, recognizing them early on and finding ways to provide them additional professional exactly. development, accelerate that is really, really key. 
Um, and then on the other side of the coin, it's also being really honest with yourself when you know that someone might be hitting a dead end in, in their particular role or that particular company based on their particular skill set. So it's really discerning the potential that someone has, um, as well as um, nurturing those high potential ones or and redirecting other people where it might not, you know, be the best fit anymore. I think um, what's really important too is, you know, if you are in that situation where someone, you know, maybe hit their limit of their ability to contribute any further, um, working with them to find a transition plan that is respectful. Um, I find so often you have people that were there at the very beginning and then eventually they get hired over, they get managed out of the organization and all of the time and the hard work and the blood, sweat and tears that they put in, I don't feel like is appreciated at the level that it should be. And so um, it's natural. That's going to happen. Not everybody is going to make sense to stay on. But when that, you know, if you're a leader, like I think how you treat people that move on from your organization is just as important as how you treat people that are in your organization. And I, I, I hope that um, we continue to see more leaders take that more seriously. I've more often than not, I think it's a goodbye and thanks and, um, and moving on to the next thing without really appreciating you know, the, the commitment and, and the hard work that they had put in up until that point. So these things are never easy, but I think it's important to handle these tougher situations with um, more grace as well. That's a very important point because it also helps to, to build the culture and to build the brand of the organization because those people also can be, um, first of all, they will always be involved in the story of the company and they have contributed first thing and and second thing we never know the future and maybe they will be able to contribute again and to partner with the company even in their future roles so it's exactly it's a win-win for everyone so that's fine thank you so much for everything that you have been doing for us and and vice versa thanks to the company for giving me this um, opportunity and we we both understand that now it's not a win-win relationship to keep going Uh, but let's support each other because uh, we have shared lives during uh, intense moments, right? So it's it's really, really important to treat people with respect. Um, absolutely. Love it. And moving to number three, the execution operating uh, system. So you have also been uh, at the COO level uh, with, with Managed by Q. Um, Any, any tips on the rituals, on the, on the discipline, on having strong OKRs, on communication? So what can we do in order to support the team, to give them clarity, to assure that communication flows, that everyone is focused, et cetera, et cetera? So what is the operating system that, that you use to help you out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so this is, it's like the idea people versus the execution people. And exactly. so, you know, I think uh, it's really exciting to have great ideas and have vision, um, but without execution, then they're just ideas. <laughs> <laughs> the execution is what actually makes them a reality. And so I think for me, it's, um, I think it's really three core um, principles that I think about to execute effectively. And, and so I think one is 
going back to really defining the vision and the values of the company. Um, I believe that like the best talent is attracted to work at companies where they are, they feel deeply aligned to the future vision of the company and, and the values that that company is embracing. And so, um, you know, thinking deeply about what that is, articulating it clearly and in a compelling way, um, making sure that you are adhering to and living your values, um, that is a critical piece because that in many ways is during the hard days, during the grind, this is what's going to keep people motivated. This is how you're going to attract and retain um, great talent so that they'll do the best work of their lives with you, right? And so you need to talk about your vision. You need to repeat it. You need to find ways to communicate that in everything that you're doing as a company. Um, I think the second piece of it is really around um, structure. So it's your goal setting process, um, how you architect your, uh, you know, internal process and procedures for your team and how they should be interacting with the market. And so I'm a big believer when you think about structure, it's, um, it's not about, there's this great book, Brave New Work, and they describe the difference between streetlight controlled intersections and then roundabouts where there are no lights and the thesis is that you should think about your structure as roundabouts and not, you know, red means stop, green means go. Those streetlight controlled intersections are reliant on compliance. And when you attract really great people, you want them to think for themselves, use their creativity and their judgment. So when I think about creating goals and creating structure, um, it's important that goals are clear and specific. Um, and that you do create some level of process because that is important and people do operate well in structure, but don't overdo it. Not so much so that you remove the ability for individuals to think for themselves. You wanna create paths so people know where they're going, but give them the freedom to experiment and to innovate um, and to bring them, them the best selves. This is part of like creating the conditions for success. It's really balancing that out effectively. I like OKRs. I think um, whether you use OKRs or any other different goal setting method, I think they all can work. Um, I think what's really key though and important is that um, you have clear company goals. And as you break down those goals for the different teams, the different individuals within the organization, it's really clear what each of them need to be doing to contribute to that broader goal that they really internalize and understand how the day-to-day -day work that they're doing is actually connected to that. That's really important for motivation. And that individual team or individual's goals are not in direct conflict with one another. If that happens, that's leadership's fault. And that's where you create unhealthy cultures, you create tension or toxicity or internal competition. Um, where you have sales blaming customer success or marketing blaming sales or whatever it is, which does no good, right? We're all on the same team. We all work at the same company. So that goal alignment is really key and that the clarity of goals at every level and the connection back to the broader company goal. So you have sort of vision, goal alignment, process and structure, 
And then I think the last piece is really communication. You have to beat the drum. You have to, you know, your weekly team meetings, your regular, you know, written communication. Um, I don't believe that there is such a thing as over communicating. Um, people need to hear things over and over again to be reminded and to internalize that. And I think so many um, either issues or problems in organizations often are often a result of either a lack of communication or miscommunication. Um, and so figuring out what that right cadence is for your organization is important. And that absolutely changes as the company grows and scales. Um, but, but that is key. So you're regularly communicating the vision, you're communicating the goals, progress to goals, celebrating when we win, understanding what, why, you know, we lost, um, reminding people of why we're here, reminding people of what they should be thinking about. Um, there are a lot of other things that come into the mix, but I think if you can get those things right, like the vision, the goal alignment and, and the right level of structure, and the right communication cadence to reinforce all of those things. Um, I think those are sort of the like the core pieces that are really needed um, as a foundation for strong execution. Love it. So great, uh, great points. Uh, thank you, Megan. And uh, let's go to the final question of the show uh, that we always love, which is if you'd have the opportunity uh, to meet yourself, let's say at the beginning of your career at Mans by Q, what, what advice would you offer to, to Megan if you would have a coffee with yourself? Um, yeah, and I think this, a lesson that I've learned since then that I would tell my younger self is, um, especially if you are in any type of management or leadership position, um, prioritizing um, showing up for yourself and self-care is really critical. Before you can effectively lead others and take care of others, um, you have to take care of yourself. And in hindsight, whenever I made mistakes or had problems as a leader, it was a result of me feeling burnt out or me neglecting my own needs at the expense of others. And you kind of feel like it's a noble thing or a good thing to do that, but it actually isn't. And so much of leadership is showing up for others, but that starts with showing up for yourself. Love it. I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much, Megan, to making the time to, to share your experience with us. It was really amazing to have you on the show. Yeah. Thanks for a wonderful discussion, Mike. It was great to be here. Likewise, it was a very nice uh, conversation. And to our listeners, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life easier scaling your business. So see you soon and keep scaling. Mm -hmm.